Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's okay. That's okay. Why is that there? What's the reason? And we've only been doing this for centuries. How come that's there? This is only by way of introduction. It's there because you can't go past page 23 without it. Oh, you can read it. You can listen to it. But you can't go past it. You can't go past it in your heart. What does it say? Right up there in the back row. It says the holy anaphora. What is an anaphora? It's the offering. That's what the word anaphora means. It's the offering that we're bringing. We're bringing to God the body and the blood of Christ. We're bringing this offering. We're, we're worshiping and we're going into the holy of holies. And you have got to have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit to even get in there. That's understandable, isn't it? Are you with me? You can say the words. You can even believe that this is what's supposed to be happening, but you can't do what we're be being called on to do. Now, just watch the next line. Okay, and with thy spirit, let us lift up our hearts. How you go about lifting up your hearts, many of us, including me, lift up our hands. And I often think about that, and I say, well, we're lifting up our hearts, and these are my hands. Well, but what's supposed to be going on is I'm lifting up my heart. I'm lifting up my heart to God. How do I do that? Amongst other things, and it's the heart of the homily today, by the grace of God. What do you mean by the grace of God? What does the grace of God have to do with that? Because as many of you know, and this is a lie, I mean, it, many of you know, that's not the lie. Many of you know <laughs> that grace is simply God's unmerited favor. I was taught that from the time I was this big until well into my 50s. God's unmerited favor. That's very nice. And there's even an element of truth to it but it is not what the scriptures teach or the church believes as far as the fullness of grace. Because what we believe is that grace is active, it's dynamic, it is the very power of God, his divine attributes, his energies dispensed to us so that we can live like God. Now, I was, I was going to say, and it wouldn't be totally appropriate, long ago and far away, before anything, before all time, before any eternity, before anything, God had a plan. His plan 
was to have a great and marvelous and glorious kingdom. That was his plan. Now, to be a great king, which God would have to be, what you have to have is some subjects. And so God decided to have his subjects be, above all else, a race of beings that he would create in his own image and likeness. He would make them to be just like he is, but they couldn't be like he is in his nature, but they would be like him because they would be like him in his grace, in his wisdom, in his power, in his love, in his glory. They would be just like him. He would give these things to him, to them, because grace, above all else, is a gift of God. But it's not just grace. In a sense, it is graces. Now you have to and understand in all of this, in this grace, there is incredible power. There is incredible energy. And these are God's power and energies dispensed to us. Now, let's take a look in the scriptures. First of all, just being born again. Now, if grace is to be looked at as only unmerited favor, all that has to do with is a legal declaration that you were forgiven from a penalty that you have incurred. Folks, that's not what we believe being born again is. We do not believe being born again is being freed from a legal penalty. penalty. We believe that being born again means being born again. And how does that happen? We are crucified with Christ, as in the epistle today. We are buried with him. We are raised with him. And this has to have the power of God to do this. It takes divine energy to be born again. Otherwise, how do you get died? How do you get killed? How do you get buried? How do you get raised again? St. Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I believe that the greatest display of power that has ever been known in all the history of all there is history is the power that was displayed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All hell tried, tried to stop it. The devil and every demon tried to stop it. And he just trampled them down. Great power. It takes power to be born again. 2 Peter 1, passage we love. 
grace and peace be multiplied to you. How do you multiply unmerited favor? With some bad grammar, it don't multiply. It doesn't multiply. But the grace of God, as understood in his energies, in his power, his wisdom, his knowledge, his understanding, these can be multiplied. Indeed, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That was part of the plan, right? A race of people that would be just like him, couldn't be like him in his nature, but could be like him by grace. And uh, called us to the true knowledge of his own glory and excellence. You have been called to live for eternity with his own glory and excellence. Staggering. Then the passage that we love, whereby, next verse, whereby, by these, are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And by nature we mean being joined in a union with Christ and his glorified, glorified humanity. Therefore, The next verses go on and say, in your faith, add moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his forgiveness from his former sins. God has called us, he has called you to be like him. And like him, as we see in Jesus, that's what he's called us to be like. Now, here's where we run into a snag. (laughs) Almost everyone wants to be like him in eternity. But many of us don't want to be like him now. Father, I've got plans. (laughs) I like lust. And I want to lust. And I want to indulge my lust. Father, I have great plans to achieve in this world. 
I haven't got the desire right now to be like God. Father, I want to be like him in eternity. But I don't want to be like him now. I really don't. <laughs> this is so stupid. I really don't want to have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. I would rather have disharmony. I would rather have conflict because it fits what I want. I don't want to forgive. Okay. That's your prerogative. But you forfeit the purpose. And then you say, Oh, Father John, it's no fun to be like God. What? <laughs> what? Do you know who the teacher is who says it's no fun to be like God? It's his enemy. It's the devil himself and all his hosts. They just niggle at you. You don't want to be like God. Moral excellence? When there's so much fun? It's like Pinocchio who wants to go to Pleasure Island. If you didn't read Pinocchio, go home and read it. <laughs> and read it to your children. It's a good story. God has called us to this, to his own glory and his excellence. And so often we don't like it because we got our plans. I'll take, you know, I'll do God's things later. Or create yourself a theological system. Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins. It's all done. I can do anything I want in this life, and I'm going to spend eternity with him in glory. Don't you count on that. You need to cooperate with him. How do we cooperate with God? In fulfilling his purpose. You know the answer, but you're chicken to say it. Because the answer is, by grace. He's given us the power, the strength, the energy to cooperate with him. But then, you know, God's pretty harsh. It says St. Paul in Romans 1, the wrath of God is revealed. Oh, I don't like that. Against all ungodliness, an unrighteousness of men who through their wicked ways suppress the truth. What's the issue here? What are they suppressing? The truth about God's eternal purpose. I don't want to be like God. I would rather be a part of that list of 21 things that now follow in Romans chapter 1, ungodliness, unrighteousness, every kind of wickedness you can think of. That's what they do. Is it any wonder? Now, put yourself for just a split second in the position of God. 
If your purpose was to have an eternal kingdom, glorious, marvelous, beyond anything that everybody, anyone could ever conceive, that I hasn't seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered the heart of man, nothing like, it's beyond all of that. You did this, and you created these, this being, this creature, and you made him in your image and likeness, and that he would share by grace what you are by nature, and that would be for all eternity. And then you turn it down, and you say, why is God upset? Duh. <laughs> why is there wrath? Why is he upset? For two reasons. One, because of the effect it has on others when we don't follow it. And two, above all else, when we just say, God, thanks, but no thanks. You know, basically what I've said today is argued every day in, in the halls of science. What's argued in the halls of science that all that exists in all of creation in the 40 billion trillion stars and the hundreds of billions of galaxies and the millions of stars in our galaxy, that it's all by chance and you stand there and you say that God did this just because of man? That this little planet is here because it was part of his eternal purpose? And that you're here as a part of his purpose? The wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness of men who through their wicked ways suppress the truth. What would you do if you didn't want to go according to God's eternal purpose? You would do two or three things. Number one, the easiest thing is to say, there is no God. Well, that solved the problem, didn't it? Unless it's true. Or, well, yeah, it's nice to have a God. But we can take care of things, thank you very much. No. That won't work. Now I'm finished with this. God's purpose for you. Today, his purpose for you is that you at least be in the process of seeking to be like him. And you say, I guess that means I have to go to a monastery. That may be the last place you need to go. Why ruin the monastery? <laughs> they got their own problems. Your problem is that when we get to the coffee hour, are we going to try to be like God? Or are we going to try to be just like good old citizens of this world with our own plans, our own agenda, our own glory, our own purposes? What are you going to do tomorrow morning? What am I going to do tomorrow morning? It doesn't mean that I just have to sit in a chair and think, all I want to think about is God, all I want to think about is being like God. That's not the way it works. Some of you have tried that, haven't we? Doesn't work that way. But the whole purpose, the burden of my heart, 
is to say, oh God, thank you, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you have empowered me. Thank you that you have called me to be like you and that in order that I might be like you, you have overwhelmed me with bountiful power in your grace. And so the end of a homily like this has to be the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.